what we are going to hear in these words that we'll read in Luke chapter 1 is how God's providence takes place. It has such special meaning to me, providence does. It has an importance in my relationship with Christ. And that's because I believe so strongly that God truly is sovereign. Sovereign over all that He's created. And that yes, without hesitation, and this is something that a lot of folks don't understand, and I would ask that you consider it carefully. God, being sovereign, without hesitation, regularly inserts his sovereign hand into most all the matters of this natural world. And he brings into being all of the plans and all of the purposes that he envisioned when he first created this earth and created us to fill it. And these events that we see taking place here in this precious book of Luke, they're just a perfect example of his providential hand carrying forward all of those plans that he had made, especially those plans that he made to redeem men and women's corrupt souls from their sins, yours and mine. So then turn with me, if you will, to the book of Luke, chapter 1. And beginning in verse 5, I'm going to read down through verse 25. Read along with me. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and when they were wondering at his delay in the temple, he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. 
After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. If you and I had never before heard the precious gospel story about God sending his dear son to this earth to redeem sinful men and women like us from our lost condition and to bring us to eternal life through a gift of salvation. These words that we've just read would not hold much excitement for us. But folks, we do. We do know this story and we know it well. Seeing and hearing these words as they unfold before us really should give you and me a great cause to rejoice. Because here God is bringing about the beginning steps of a promise and a prophecy that He had made several hundred years earlier. He made those promises and those prophecies through the prophet Isaiah and through Malachi and in other places, but in particular those two prophets of God. Here God is telling us about how He personally ascending a forerunner, a herald, to announce and to prepare the way for His dear Son to bring blessed eternal redemption to the souls of sons and daughters of men. You and me, and all the many others who will turn and give their hearts to Christ. And praise the Lord for that. And to make sure that no one would confuse whether or not this was coming directly from His own hand, God used means which even the simplest of a willing mind would have to accept. First, He chose a fearsome angel to deliver that message. And then he chose parents who were old and past the age of bearing. The wife had had a barren womb all of her life, but now she would conceive and bear a very special child, a child who would later grow up to be a great prophet, a great prophet, a prophet like no other, a prophet who would be a herald going out ahead of the coming Messiah, the Son of the Most High God, with a voice crying out there in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. That's exciting to consider. As for this elderly man and this elderly woman that God chose to bear this great prophet, may we not err as so many who read these words are apt to err and think that God first looked to and fro throughout all of the world to find just the right parents to bear this prophet. That's not what he did. No, God is eternal. God lives in this condition of a forever now, a time that does not pass, a forever now, seeing always the beginning, the middle, and the end of all things at all times. And one of the wonderful attributes that assures us that God did not just look for someone, one of His great attributes is he is the first cause. He is the first cause of all things, determining the time and the place of each person's being upon this earth, personally creating and weaving each person together in their mother's womb, knitting together not only the DNA of their body, but also their minds, their minds and their hearts, and especially their spirits. And I have no doubt that that was exactly what he did with Zacharias and Elizabeth. Those verses that I just 
mentioned a moment ago, Acts 17, 26, tell us that God decides each person's existence, when they will live, where they will live, when they will die. As we're told here also in verse 6, God had also put a devout faith within the hearts of both Zacharias and Elizabeth, preparing them for this special child that they were going to bear. There in verse 6 it says that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. As we read words such as these, we must always remember that whether it be before Christ came to the earth or after He came to the earth, attributes such as righteousness within the hearts of men and women as spoken about here, they were always a gift from God because sinful men and women have never been able to achieve the attribute of righteousness by their own efforts. It is always a gift from Him. And so we can believe this as we read, they were both righteous before God. We know that God's own hand prepared their hearts and their minds for this special calling that was going to come their way over the years to come. He carefully designed every step of the plan that would unfold as His Messiah was coming and being prepared to go out. Zacharias and Elizabeth and their son John, they were just one part of God's blessed preparation for His dear Son. Note here also that for Zacharias and Elizabeth, this prophesied birth of their child John had for a long time been a deep desire within each of their own hearts. This showing of uh, this magnificent attribute of God, another one that I love, how He works His plans concurrent with those of our own. Our plans seeming to be our own, but also perfectly the plans of God. It works that way. You and I might not understand that and how it works, but it works that way. There in verse 18 He said, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer has been answered. You and your wife are going to bear a son. All of their hopes and dreams and plans... They came together with God's plans and became one. And likewise, this son John, who would be born to them, was specifically created and given a divine purpose, even before the foundations of the earth, to be and to do all that he would do, to preach and to prophesy and to prepare the way of the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Recall that John, was one of the first things he said about Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was John. Verse 14. You'll have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at His birth for He will be great before the Lord. And He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from His mother's womb. And He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And He will go before Him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Note here in verse 15 that God would fill this child with His Holy Spirit even while the child was still in His mother's womb. We'll read about that later. On the occasion when Mary, pregnant with the Lord Jesus, came to visit Elizabeth, and you'll recall as Mary entered the room, John leaped in his mother's womb. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Folks, the invisible hand of God is so evident throughout all 
that is taking place here in these events. Yes, men and women are doing what they do, but clearly God is directing and carrying out every step. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your steps. He will direct your path. And that's what He was doing here. And with all this being said about this little baby leaping in the mother's womb, does not this give us pause to think about how meaningless our current culture of people consider unborn babies to be? This current culture is called a cancel culture. A cancel culture. They cancel out the value and the meaning of anything that they disagree with, including the very lives of unborn babies, seeming to regard unborn babies as being worthless, throwaways. And we see that taking place in our politics this very day and every day within our news. But thanks be to God, He Himself does not think that way. He knits each baby together in its mother's womb, forming each one in His own image, preparing each child for their purpose and calling in life. That's Psalm 139 if you want to read those exact words. Looking back again for a moment at these words in verse 6 where we're told that Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous and blameless. We must not assume that this righteousness of theirs gave them a form of perfected holiness. That's not the point in these words. And we can see immediately that that had not taken place in the response that Zacharias gave to the words of the angel Gabriel. In his response, we're reminded that each person is still a sin-prone creature, subject to weakness in their faith. Though Zacharias was a devout believer and a priest in full-time service to the Lord, still his faith was shown to be tentative. And here as a loving father would always do God, his loving father demonstrated some gentle discipline of Zacharias for his unbelief. There in verse 18, And Zacharias said to the angel, How? Shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, while the word faith is not used here specifically in regard to the response of Zacharias, it is clearly the missing condition within his soul that brought about this doubt that he had and then the discipline that came to him. And this is the first indication within this gospel that faith, faith would be that very special relationship between God and man that would bring God's blessing to fruition. Another question, was Gabriel's response of taking away Zacharias' voice a decision made by Gabriel alone? We can answer that no, not at all, because elect angels ever and always say and do the exact will of God. I have no doubt that the discipline of taking away the voice of Zacharias came directly from God. Now here also we're given a short glimpse of what this child John would later be like. We're told here that he would in some ways be a very simple kind of person. But in other ways, he would be exceptional beyond comprehension. Verse 13, the angel said to him, 
Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This baby that the angel Gabriel is telling Zacharias about would truly be special in every way. A man who would go ahead of Jesus, preaching a message that would prepare the way for all then that the Lord Jesus would do as he began to walk among them and teach and preach. And Jesus would later say of John the Baptist that he was one of the greatest men to ever have been on this earth. Now had the other local priests and scribes and the Pharisees been paying attention to the Scriptures, they would have known about this very special child. They would have been looking forward to His coming. They would immediately have recognized Him when He arrived. How often do you suppose that those scribes and those Pharisees studied and even taught their congregations about these words spoken here by the prophet Isaiah? 700 years earlier, Isaiah said these words, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then also in the book of Malachi in chapter 4, he tells us, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. This baby that Elizabeth would soon bear, John the Baptist, would later be given this very special calling and opportunity to prepare ye the way of the Lord, the Lord Jesus. And it was a very special form of preparation that would take place in people's hearts and minds to be able to receive the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord. John's principal message would be that of the need for repentance. And that's our message. That's our message. Now for those folks at the time, yes, repentance was something that the then current day Jew was very familiar with. But then they really weren't. Because what their understanding of repentance was was accomplished through works of righteousness and then also through the sacrifice of animals. But all of that was going to change as John would begin to preach his message and as Jesus would begin to teach. Repentance would soon take on a whole new meaning. And John's calling would be that necessary beginning for that new understanding. In the same way that a farmer must till the soil before seeds can be planted. John was softening the hearts and the minds of the people to hear this message of salvation that Jesus would bring to them. And that softening would take place through their repentance for their sins. Sadly, folks, it seems that too often in today's evangelical efforts, the preachers fail to stress the need for repentance. For a person to see themselves as being sinful and for their need to repent of those sins. 
In many of the pulpits today, sin will not be mentioned. The penalties for sin will not be mentioned. How wrong that is. We instead are too, too often are busy trying to get a person to pray a sinner's prayer. That we forget that they do have sins. Sins deep in their hearts that need to be dealt with. Sins that are barriers to the conviction that must come to any person's soul before they even realize that they're sinners and they need a Savior. But here in this special calling of John the Baptist, we see that God places such a great deal of importance on repentance. And He's saying to you and me in this, in these words that you and I need to do the same. You and I need to do the same. As we close this message today, I want to remind you and me that each of us has a calling that God has placed upon us. John the Baptist was sent out ahead of Jesus in that day to prepare ye the way of the Lord. But what about today? What about today? Who will go out before Jesus in these days? On this day, that, folks, is our calling, yours and mine. You and I are the modern-day John the Baptist. It is our job, our assignment, our calling, to make straight in the wilderness, this wilderness that we live in, to make straight in the wilderness the path of the Lord. You and I are to go out in the spirit of Elijah, preaching a message of repentance and turning the hearts of the people to the Lord. And you and I are called to give the good news of the soon coming day of the Lord. And let me ask you, are you, am I, are we fulfilling our call are we the voice of one crying in the wilderness? Are we preparing the way of the Lord? We must. We must. Let's pray.